Thank you, Edith, for reading God's Word to us. Uh, Can you please keep that passage open as we look at it? If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles uh, in the back that are available. If you don't know me, my name's Matt. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, And uh, we have a question time after uh, the sermon. If you'd like to ask questions about this passage, you can do so using slido.com with the hashtag HBSP. Well, we're going to begin in chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, where Jesus explains to us that we can be hypocritical if we do not notice the log that is in our own eye. This hypocrisy comes when we start to meddle in our brothers and sisters' minor failings when we have not dealt with our own more serious faults. The log that Jesus is referring to that is in our eye are our own faults, our burdens, and our sins. Jesus says we must deal with them first. We must be more discerning about our own sinfulness before we judge others or before we even attempt to help our brothers and sisters with the speck that is in their eye. And notice in verse 5, the final verse that was read, that we are to take the log out of our own eye so that we can see clearly in order to help our brothers and sisters with their speck. And see, as a church, we are to be concerned about our brothers and sisters. We have a responsibility for their spiritual welfare. We are called to serve them to serve each other. You are expected to love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. In Philippians 2.4, we're reminded of this, where it says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Galatians 5.13 says, for you were called to freedom, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so Jesus explains in this passage that we cannot do what we are called to do when we cannot see the log that is in our own eye. And instead of dealing with our log that is in our own eye, we attempt to pull out the speck that we see in somebody else's eye. And Jesus' teaching all the way through the Sermon on the Mount makes us aware of the log that is in our own eye. And so for us today, as we consider what it says in chapter 6, 19 and onwards, we see that Jesus warns us of our failure to show loyalty to our heavenly home and our hesitation to fully trust in God. Jesus warns those who will listen to him to stop and take time to assess our worries and to understand that our worries are a sign of where our heart is. And he wants us to, he wants to guide us to be loyal to our heavenly home, and to trust God 
rather than trusting the things of this world. The log in our own eye must be removed. And so would you please pray with me that he will help us remove the log in our own eye so that we can serve others in, for his glory. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to remove the log that is in our own eye. Help us to be more discerning of our own faults and burdens and sinfulness so that we can deal with them now. And then in turn, we may be able to help those around us. Speak to every one of us here today through your word so that it may challenge the way we live and the way we serve you. In your name we pray, amen. So today we're going to look at Jesus' teaching on what it means to be loyal to our heavenly home and to have trust in our heavenly Father. Jesus teaches about loyalty and trust so that we do not worry about the wrong things. And Jesus, is, Jesus focuses on what we are to seek after in verse 33. Read with me verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus wants us to understand that we are part of God's kingdom. And as a result of being part of God's kingdom, there is a loyalty to and a trust in our Heavenly Father that is demanded of us. We are to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness because he is the one who is in control of everything from the birds of the air to our lifespan, to what we will eat and drink and wear, to the lilies of the field and the grass that is here today and tomorrow, we're just going to mow it over. God is in control of everything. So trust in him. Let's begin with our loyalty to our heavenly home. Chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. In these verses... Jesus uses three different illustrations. He compares treasures on earth to treasures in heaven. He compares bad eyes to healthy eyes. And he compares how we can serve both money, we cannot serve both money and God. We cannot serve two masters. And these three comparisons all imply the same idea. We can either be loyal to our heavenly home or loyal to our earthly home, but we can't be both. If you have a look in your wallet or in your purse, you might find some loyalty cards that you've got there for various stores. It is possible to be loyal to David Jones and to Meyer at the same time. Some of you, if you look at your Spotify account, you might see that you can be loyal to Ed Sheeran and to some of the heavy metal music that some of us listen to. <laughs> but Jesus explains here that we cannot be loyal to the kingdom of heaven and to the kingdom of this world. It is not possible, and our attempts to do so are futile. 
But this doesn't mean that we aren't part of this world, but our loyalty cannot be found in this world and at the same time in our heavenly home. Read with me, starting from verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The warning for us here is that our heart's desire is found in where our treasure is. So if we treasure the material things of this world, then we are going to be loyal to the material things of this world. Now I can remember a few years ago when the bushfires came around and they seemed to be around us everywhere, Ella decided to do the right thing and make a list of all the things in our house that we would quickly grab if we have to evacuate in case of a fire. Now, I'm sure a lot of you here have done the same thing in the past. And so she asked me this question. She said, what do you want to take? What do you want me to grab and put in the car? What do you want me to add to this list? And I was very proud in saying nothing. Right? But really, this doesn't mean that I don't store up treasures here on Earth. What it really says is it says more about my upbringing and the fact that I had to move around a lot when I was younger and that I just didn't see the value in these treasures. It also tells me that I believe that I can replace pretty much everything in my house, so that doesn't matter either. It turns out that you don't have to like the stuff in your house to still store up treasures here on earth. And it also uh, turns out you don't need to spend much time with people to figure out what they are passionate about and where their treasure is. And so we may all need to do an assessment on our own heart and ask ourselves where our real treasure is. You can ask yourself, what are your deepest desires? What are your goals and aspirations for your life? And then ask yourself if they have anything to do with your heavenly home. So it may be material things. It may be amazing holidays, a collection of great experiences, and it also may be relationships. Our whole lives are moving towards and seeking what we treasure. Our lives are moving towards where our treasure is because our heart is taking us there. And so when we are loyal to our earthly home, we give up loyalty to our heavenly home. But the opposite is also true. When we are loyal to our heavenly home, our loyalty to our earthly home becomes insignificant. 
Read with me verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The comparison Jesus makes here is between healthy eyes and bad eyes, emphasizing the perception we have, the view we have of this world. Healthy eyes means our bodies full of light, where bad eyes fill our bodies with darkness. Now, after losing my right eye, after a few months, I was able to drive again, and I started driving. And a few months after I started driving, I had a conversation with my brother. And he said to me, he said, you know, oftentimes when I'm driving home from work, I wonder what it's like to only have one eye. So he said he used to put his hand over his right eye and drive. And he said, it's possible, you know, you can, you can drive with one eye, it's fine. But he said, what happens is as soon as a car gets close to you, what you do is you quickly pull your hand away so you've got both eyes to see because it's so much easier if you have both eyes. And so I was thinking about this one day as I was driving along, and I just, be, I just happened to be driving up Bald Hill. And I thought to myself, I wonder what that feeling's like, right? So I put my hand over my right eye. <laughs> and I thought, you are so stupid, what an idiot, right? That's not gonna make a difference, you've already lost your right eye. So instead I decided I'd put my left hand over my left eye. And immediately I was in complete darkness. You do not want to be driving up Bald Hill in complete darkness. There is either light in your body that comes through your eyes or there is darkness. But we easily deceive ourselves into believing that what we have here and now, what this earth here has to offer us, is now light, when in reality it is darkness. And we fix our eyes on our earthly home rather than fixing our eyes on our heavenly home. And we can do this, and we know we do this in so many ways. We deceive ourselves by believing that we can be both loyal to what we have here and now in this life and worry about our heavenly home later on. We think our eyes are good when really they may just be bad. And we may not even realize that we have deceived ourselves and we are living in darkness. Jesus says in verse 23, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. We are not to look to the darkness in this world and fill our hearts with its darkness. And Jesus continues in verse 24 as he makes it clear that we cannot serve two masters. It's not possible to be loyal to our heavenly father and loyal to the masters of this world. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And if you look at that word money, you'll see that there's a little number above it, which uh, directs you down to the bottom of the page in your Bible. And at the bottom of the page, you might realize that it says uh, the name for that, the Greek word for money is mammon, uh, which can also be defined as either money or possessions. Now here, Jesus is not condemning those who have money or possessions, but those who love and serve their money and possessions. And so sometimes we love the things that money can buy, but oftentimes also we just love the number that is in our bank account. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 explains to us the problem with the love of money when it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money and possessions can lead people away from the faith. And it is my prayer that you are not being led away from the faith because you are serving money. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You either hate one and love the other or you're devoted to one and despise the other. And so trying to serve both God and money is the ultimate illustration for us of how we cannot serve two masters. We cannot make it work. And so what we find here is that if we choose the wrong treasure, if we choose the wrong eyes, and if we choose the wrong master, our loyalty will be here on earth, our heart will be here on earth, rather than our loyalty being in our heavenly home and our heart groaning for the heavenly kingdom. And when our loyalty is here on earth, we will be anxious about the things here on earth. When we seek after the things here on earth, we will be anxious about the things here on earth. When we expect to have control over the things here on earth, it will lead us to worry about the things here on earth. And we can so quickly fall into the trap of expecting a level of control over things here on earth that we do not have control over. And what's interesting is that for those around us, when we worry about the things that we do not have control over, we are showing them our lack of trust in God. Now, as we look more closely at verses 25 to 34, I want to begin by saying to those of you who struggle with anxiety, regardless of whether it's a diagnosed illness or not, to you, I want to say that this passage has been used and is still used many times in an incredibly unhelpful and hurtful way. It's used as an attempt to try and fix or heal people who are struggling with anxiety. 
If this has been your experience, I am very sorry. We must be very careful not to misread what Jesus says here in verse 30 when he says, Oh, you of little faith. See, Jesus is not singling out those who struggle with anxiety as being weaker than those who do not. We must not think that if you struggle with anxiety, it is because you don't have enough faith. Anxiety is a complex illness and one that affects the brain and how it works. And we must recognize that it can have devastating consequences for those who struggle with it if they are wrongly accused of believing or being told that they have a lack of faith and that is why they have anxiety. It's a crude application and is entirely unhelpful. And so I believe we must take time to reflect on what Jesus says immediately after this in chapter 7, verse 5, which we've already read, where it says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so I want to be really clear on this, that you can love your possessions and not struggle with anxiety. You can love the money in your bank and not struggle with anxiety. You can be living in darkness and convince yourself that you're actually living in light and still not struggle with anxiety because we all struggle. And if it's not with anxiety, it's with something else. And we all have little faith. What Jesus is saying here about anxiety is that when we put our trust In God, our loyalty in our heavenly home, we don't need to worry about the things here on earth. Read with me again what it says from verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. When we trust in God for our everyday needs, we can be encouraged by these words that say to us, We are more valuable to him than the birds of the air. When we trust in God for our everyday needs, we can be encouraged when he says to us, God will clothe us even more than he clothes the grass of the field, which are alive one day and destroyed the next. And so look at the birds in the air. 
In them, we see God's care for his creation. And we are more valuable to God than all of them. We can be confident that he will take care of us when we see the beauty of his hand in creation, we are reminded that he will not abandon us. And notice quickly with me as well what it says in verse 27. It says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And this here can also be translated, who can add a single cubic to his stature? Or who can add an inch or two to his height. It's just not possible. Jesus is pointing out here how we spend so much of our time worrying about things that are completely outside of our control. By worrying, I can't add hours to my life. By worrying, I can't grow myself taller. It's just not possible. But notice also that Jesus in this passage says that Um, He does not say that there won't be anything to worry about. Here in verse 34, it also assumes that there will be troubles and there will be worries in our life. So it's not that there won't be anything to worry about, but we're meant to understand them and deal with them as they come up by trusting that God is in control. So read with me again verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, how quickly can we fall into the trap of believing that if we honor the Lord, then he will give us what we want? When Jesus says all these things will be added to you, he's not saying that we will get what we want if we do what he wants. He asks us to play our part in seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He asks us to avoid consuming worry about the things that we don't have control over. He asks us to trust in him, knowing that God's part is to provide his children with what they need. And so for those of us who follow Jesus, our goal should always be to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are to have our loyalty only in our heavenly home. And when we do, we can have the assurance that God will worry about the rest. Give up worrying about the things that are here today and gone tomorrow and trust that God has it in his hands. And by doing this, it shows others, shows those around us that our lives actually match what we say. And so as we look to the log in our own eye, you may like to ask yourself, how can I be a person who has one treasure, one set of eyes, and one master? And then ask yourself how this might change 
how and what you worry about. And then also ask God to help you with your worries. Ask that he would help you trust in him with the things that are outside of your control. And I want to leave you with this one thought. We can stop worrying about today by looking forward to the day that is to come. When we finally reach that day, when we stand before our Heavenly Father and we hear his voice say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set over you much. Enter into the joy of your master. On that day, when we look back to see how we have endeavored to seek first his righteousness, we will be rewarded even despite our little faith. On that day, our pain, our worries, and our anxieties will be no more. And the significance of the here and now will just seem insignificant. Our worries will be no more. And together, we will be able to give glory to our Heavenly Father for his love, for his care, and provision for us. So stop worrying about today and look forward to that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to not be anxious about our life, what we will eat or what we will drink or about our bodies and what we will put on. Help us to understand that we are of much value to you and that you know what we need. Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. In your name we pray, amen. Well, you might like to take a few minutes to reflect on what was said and what this passage has said to you and possibly ask a question using slido.com. I'll be back after a song to look at those questions.